The following podcast is from Doxa Church in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org. How's everybody Thanksgiving? Yeah, decent? Um, I don't know what your traditions are. We, we uh, have a big family gathering out in the country where I grew up. And uh, nothing's better than a country, Horry County, Thanksgiving, fried turkey, and the whole bit. And um, sometimes there's even like, you know, squirrels that show up, like dead squirrels, like a squirrel bog or something. There was nothing like that this year, but uh, uh, not like running through the house. I'm like dead, like cooked in the, in the pot. Anybody ever had something called squirrel bog? It, it's, uh, it's, it can be disturbing. I've actually eaten this, so somebody brought it to a Super Bowl party that we had. Nothing says Super Bowl like a good squirrel bog. And you, you open the pot, and there's like, there's no, there's no doubt that it's squirrel bog when you open it, because there's a squirrel inside there. There's the, like the fur is gone, but other than that, it's just like a squirrel floating around there with some, uh, with some sausage and rice. And uh, I don't know. I, uh, I, think, I think I passed that night, but... Uh, um, there was no, no, no squirrel bog this year at our Thanksgiving. Uh, almost as big a deal for our family, though, at Thanksgiving is the day after Thanksgiving. Uh, growing up as a kid, we definitely looked forward to the day after Thanksgiving about as much as we did the actual day of Thanksgiving because that is in our family called Tree Day, like Tree Day with a capital T. We would spend Thanksgiving at the family gathering saying, tomorrow's tree day, tomorrow's tree day. And it sort of marked the beginning of the Christmas season, which, by the way, Christmas season can now start. It didn't start last week. It didn't start after Halloween. Those of you that were playing Christmas music a week ago, like, that's okay. But now you are allowed to play Christmas music. Now it is okay because we've had tree day. Christmas has begun. So you show up in downtown Conway at 10 o'clock in the morning, and they had these trees that came in from straight on the truck, fresh cut from the uh, mountains of North Carolina, and our family comes in, and we buy them. You have to buy, find the perfect tree, and everybody has like their own taste in trees. Like Some people like the, the short and stubby trees, and some people like the tall and fat and tall and skinny. So we all kind of know like this is their kind of tree, so you like, go into the lot. Oh, this is, like, this is Cousin Sarah's tree, and this is Aunt Willian's tree, which, by the way, Aunt Willian, that is my actual aunt's name. My Aunt Willian caused some controversy. This year. I know you guys know, care about this. She caused some controversy this year when she announced that she had become basically a communist, a traitor, and she, had, and she had bought a artificial tree. Which, look, if you're an artificial family, artificial family, that's fine, but that's not the way my family rolls. It's our big, tra- it's our big tradition, and she, she went to the dark side, and I don't know, we're, we're, ta- we're thinking about maybe voting her out of the family or whatnot, but um, you know, we all have our particular holiday traditions. We all have a particular like Christmas traditions, things that we look forward to, and really there's a lot, there's a lot packed into the holiday season for all of us, right? A lot of expectations, a lot of dreads, a lot of joys, um, and a lot of different ways that we do things. So whenever I get home and I get my tree and I get it set up, and this has kind of been funny through the years. So the first few years that Megan and I are married, I can be somewhat of a a perfectionist. I can be a little bit, Megan might say OCD. I just say perfectionist. I like, I like things a particular way. She says, I, I have, um, have you guys ever seen the, the show Monk? Like with that, he's kind of, she says, I have monkish kind of tendencies that, that, that run in there. But so when we first started doing the tree, we would have our tree and 
I would, I would take the lights and I would, I would wrap the lights around each branch of the tree. And then I had a system where you wrap it around the branch and then you double it back underneath it, then you wrap around the next branch, double it back underneath it so you don't see any wires hanging anywhere. And then you would have, like on our six foot tree, when we lived in our apartment, we would have like seven to 800 lights on the tree. It would light up the house. So we'd, we'd plug it in and the, the meter would start running like this, but you didn't have to run any lights or heat in the house because it was heating and lighting the whole place up. And I loved it, but now as like time has passed, we got Sophia, like, uh, and she was a little baby, like I paid a little bit less attention. And then she got older, I paid a little bit less attention. And basically last year was just kind of like throwing it on the tree, like, oh, we gotta get done with this, we gotta move on. But we all have our particular traditions and lights play a big role in Christmas. You ever notice that? Like lights on the tree, lights on our house. Um, I, I was looking uh, yesterday, like there, there, are, there are businesses that now specialize and they'll come to your house and decorate your house for you. If you don't want to like, like me, like I am height challenged. I, I, uh, I, I don't like heights. That's another way of saying I'm deathly afraid of heights. And so Megan always wants to decorate our house with the lights around the house. I don't know why I'm telling you all. This is not in my notes this morning. But uh, she was always, I feel like I feel better. I'm like confessing to you guys. Like the reason my house isn't decorated is not because I'm like a Scrooge, even though she says I'm kind of like the Grinch in this. It's because I don't want to get up on a ladder. And because if you've seen my house, it's kind of like a high-pitched roof. And I, Daddy's not going there. We're not, we're not doing that. But... <laughs> Lights are an important part of decoration. Um, they, they estimate that Americans spend about $6 billion a year on Christmas lights. $6 billion, with a B, a year on Christmas lights. About $3.4, $3.5 billion on Christmas trees, both artificial and the real stuff every year. That's, that's a lot of money that we spend on lights. At how, how do we get there? How did lights become such a big part of what we do at Christmas? How do we get there? I was talking with Sophia, my daughter, this week, and she asked me, one of the cool things about being a parent is like the questions that you get, like, because you're like forming her mind and she's asking these questions, like she's trying to figure out how it all works. And this week she said something about being in the dark and what it's like to be in the dark. And so we started talking about that because she has a little bit of fear of the dark going on. We started talking about that. And, and we started talking about how there are places that you can go that it's totally pitch black and there are absolutely no lights. That's hard to get into a place. Like, have you guys ever been like, like in a cave underneath the ground or you're somewhere where there's absolutely no light around? That's a different kind of dark. When, when you feel like you open your eyes and there's no difference between your eyes are closed and your eyes are open, and you feel it like it's pressing in and pushing in. It's like a physical force that's pushing against you. Have you ever been in a place like that where it's pitch black, absolute, utter and total darkness, and like you're, you're holding somebody's hand and then like you accidentally let go or you, you lose touch with them, and then all of a sudden it's just you, and they can be three inches from you, but you lose, like you totally, you're disoriented, you don't know where anything is, you know where people are, like that, that kind of, feeling of panic that starts to rise up in like what if the lights don't come back on what if I can't find my way out of this like that that feeling that feeling of utter panic when you're in utter darkness that's what the Israelites felt like in the 400 what we call silent years between the ending of the Old Testament and the beginning of the New Testament 
They were stuck in utter darkness and silence. If you have your Bible, you can turn to the end of the Old Testament. We're going to see how God signs off in the Old Testament. So God spoke to a guy named Abraham. His name was Abram at the time. God changed his name because that's the way God rolls. Whenever he picks you out and he pulls you out, he totally changes your life upside down so much so that like, your name can even get changed. He pulls Abraham out somewhere around 2100, 2160, somewhere in there, uh, B.C., and for 1,700 years, God, God builds this people from one man, Abraham. He has Isaac. He has Jacob. And then the people start to multiply, and they go through this whole, like, they go into Egypt, and there's this whole kind of journey through. He makes a nation out of them. They're never really one of the most powerful nations in the world. They're never like a Egypt or Syria or Persia kind of power. But, but, but he makes a nation out of them. But then... And all through the whole time, he has people with him that he's speaking through. He has prophets, he has, he, has, he has kings, he has priests, somebody that he's speaking to the people through. Then all of a sudden, Malachi rolls, comes along, and he signs off his book. Of course, it wasn't a book then, it was a, it was a prophecy, it was a letter. And he signs off like this. We're going to read the whole chapter 4. Uh, For behold, the day is coming. Burning like an oven. Now he's talking to the nation of Israel, so stick with us here. When all the arrogant and all evildoers will be stubble. That day is coming. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stalls. He says, it's going to be joyful, it's going to be great, and you shall tread down the wicked, for there will be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. Remember the law of my servant Moses, the statutes and rules that I commanded him at Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet. So Elijah's already lived, and he said he's going to send him another Elijah, somebody like Elijah, somebody who has the same power, the same spirit that's going to come after him. Before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of fathers to their children and the hearts of children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. And then there's a period, then it stops. God has been with and spoken to and communicated with his people for 1,700 years. He's been with them and spoken to them. And all of a sudden, at that period, when Malachi puts the dot on the end of that, it, it ends, he closes that scroll, it goes silent. Radio silence for 400 years. 400 years, the people of Israel who heard from God, had laws from God, or established as a nation because of God, they based their whole identity of who they are and what they're about upon him choosing them, him working in their nation, him doing things for them. He brought them out of Egypt. They, their story is told about how he separated the waters and they walked through. You guys have seen the movie, right? The, 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 the stones come down from the top of the mountain. God himself, there's a pillar of cloud by day and fire by night and all these crazy stories that they tell their children they pass down from generation to generation to generation but in the midst of silence God stops talking to them 400 years can you imagine what it'd be like to go through that time where your parents and your grandparents and your grandparents and grandparents are telling you stories about all that God did for you but you look around and you don't see anything happening now 
you imagine the emotions that would be going through their, go through the thoughts that would be going through their hearts? Uh, they, would, they would be feeling helpless and hopeless. They'd be feeling disoriented. They'd be, they would be questioning. They would have doubts. They'd be questioning, was it all real? These stories that my parents and grandparents are telling me about all that God did, was that real? Because when I look around me today, there's nothing going on. It's darkness. It's hopeless. There's, because in this 400 years of silence between Malachi putting the dot at the end of this sentence and what we're going to be hitting in just a moment, in this 400 years, four centuries that pass, that not only is the nation, not as only is God silent in the nation of Israel, but like people are coming through and abusing the nation of Israel. Leader after leader, power after power, nation after nation comes in and capt and becomes and, and Israel becomes captives to them. They overpower them. They become a part of them. They're abused. They made. They're made. Uh, they're made. They're put under the heel of the, the, Nash, of the world powers at the time. And they're waiting and they're wondering. Was it all real? Maybe they're just fables. Maybe it's just made up. Maybe they're just stories. Maybe it's, maybe it's some fiction that's, that my grandpa likes to tell, but he hasn't seen it. I, I hear the stories, I read it, but I don't see it myself. There would be fear. Maybe they still believe in God, but there would be fear like, has, has he forgotten us? Has he forgotten about us? Has he moved on to somebody else? Is he, is, is he just given up on us? Have, or have we gone too far? Like, have we, have we done too many bad things so that, so that we are in trouble now? That he said, that, I'm done with you, I'm moving on. Or they, maybe they'd be embarrassed. Have I invested in the wrong thing? I'm a, I'm a Jew, I, I believe in God, but maybe, maybe have I just invested in the wrong thing. Have you ever felt like that way as a, as a Christian? Like you've heard stories of people talking about all the amazing things that God has done in the past, but you look around in your life and you don't see it going on in your life and you wonder, maybe it was just a fable. Maybe it's just a story. Or maybe I've gone too far. Maybe he's forgotten me. Maybe he doesn't care about me. Maybe it's for somebody else, not about me. Or maybe you're embarrassed. You're around your friends who aren't believers and they and you, you wonder, like, have I invested in the wrong thing? I've, I've placed a lot of my identity and value in who I am as a person, the fact that I'm a Christian, that, that I'm one of the church people, but maybe I've just put my stake. Maybe I've put my money. Maybe I've invested in the wrong thing. Maybe I invested it in, uh, in Commodore instead of Apple back in the 80s. Anybody remember Commodore computers? Yeah? That was probably a bad investment. You put a, put a couple hundred dollars in Apple stock, you're sitting pretty today. Maybe you're just thinking, like, maybe I'm that guy. Maybe I invested in Clemson five years ago instead of the Gamecocks. I felt that way as a Clemson fan. Like, I, I can't go back. I can't change it. I wouldn't change it. But maybe, uh, maybe, it'd be, maybe it would be better to be a Florida State fan today. In this four centuries that passes between Malachi and what we're getting ready to celebrate, what we are celebrating in Advent, in the silent years, in the quiet years, in the utter darkness, there's a longing cry of a forgotten people. A people who are sitting in what is in the, the world stage, the backwoods, the back country, an area that nobody really wants to own in the corner of the Middle East. A people that are just kind of marginalized and put under this, the, the boot of Greece and then 
Rome. And they're forgotten. They're crying out under the weight of oppression and disillusionment. It's dark and it's quiet and nothing is happening. And they're wondering, is it all lost? Here's the thing. You and I, as we go into the holiday season, and there's a lot of expectations and there's a lot of hope. Some of us dread it because of our family background and the things that go on. Some of us, like we have a lot of hopes and dreams like packed into the coming holiday season and we always feel disillusioned afterwards because it can never live up to all that we want it to be. But here's the deal. As a believer, if you are here today and you, you bought in, you've invested into this Jesus thing, you cannot appreciate, you cannot enjoy, you cannot you cannot. You cannot enjoy Christmas for what it is unless you understand the utter darkness that the world was in and the utter darkness that you and I were in until he showed up. The picture of Advent is a picture of utter and complete darkness, the world pining and, and, and like, the, like the song, Oh Holy Night, like the world in, in darkness pining, just sitting there, hopelessness, helplessness, sitting, hoping, waiting, something has to happen, someone needs to come. You and I cannot appreciate Christmas for what it is and what it was and what it will be until you appreciate the utter and hopeless and helpless darkness that the world was sitting in and that you were sitting in before the light of Jesus Christ dawn on your soul. That lights are a big part of Christmas, but the reason that lights are a big part is because the lights shine in the darkness. The beginning part of you and I celebrating Advent, the beginning part of you and I celebrating Christmas, is the beginning of you and I appreciating the darkness. You feeling the darkness. Because if you have any hope, if you're out treading water and you're like, hey, I got this. I think I can do this for a while longer. I, I remember I watched, uh, this will date some of you guys, this is way before your time, but I remember watching as a kid an episode of Magnum P.I. And there was one particular episode of Magnum P.I. where he gets, he gets turned over in his kayak in the middle of the ocean and he has to tread water. I don't remember how long he had to tread water. It was like, it was like 12 hours. There's something crazy. He's treading tread water waiting for somebody to come and help him. And he remembers like through the episode, I don't know why I remember that. I think I was so terrified. Like, what if that ever happens to me? Am I going to be able to do that? And, and, but he's out there treading water, and he's like remembering how his dad taught him how to tread water and how to wait for some, for, for some help to come. But you know what? As long as you think you can make it one more minute, one more hour, as long as you think you can tread water, you can make it, you don't really appreciate the depth of your need of a rescue. And here's the case, here's the truth, that the world was helpless and hopeless in utter darkness. Look around today and you see how messed up the world is. Can you imagine being messed up and there not being any hope? Like how do we get out of this? 
We place hope in all kinds of things. We place hope in a new president or a new ruler. We make hope in new technology that, that our advances in technology are gonna make us kinder and gentler. We place our hope in education as we, as we get smarter and better educated that we're gonna treat each other better. And every single thing that we place our hopes and dreams in, they always disappoint. The ruler never lives up to the hype. The technology just, it just exacerbates the problem. Education becomes, we become more educated, ignorant people who are still keep repeating the problems, keep repeating the issues over and over and over again. The world is sitting, was sitting in utter and complete hopelessness and darkness until, until you are sitting, we're sitting in utter and complete helplessness and darkness until the light appeared. You don't really appreciate the dawn unless you've been through the night. It's, it's nice to see the sun rise in the morning, but have you ever been in a, in a state, like maybe you were sick or maybe you were a loved one who's struggling and the, the, you're, you're, you're trying to make it through the night or maybe uh, I'm, I'm not what you call outdoorsy and uh, there's a couple of times I've been camping and it's kind of fun, but if you, to, to me, like you go camping and it's cold, like fun is off. It is no fun anymore because like the, the campfire is all romantic until you go into the tent and you're in the sleeping bag and you're sleeping on the cold ground and like the, the coldness starts to seep through the bag no matter how good it is. You're like, you can't get comfortable and you, you're like, it's just terrible. Like even if you like got like, one of the really nice ones, or, like which I, and it's like just your face is out. Like, that's terrible. Your face is cold and everything else is hot. It's terrible. I hate it. I hate that. And you're just waking, you're laying there just if the morning comes. God, if that sun rises in the morning, I promise you, I will never, ever do this again. I will never be in this position again. Ever try to make it through a long night? That's just keeps on going and going. You're like wondering, when will the sun come up? And then you see it, the dawn starts to break. And it brings hope. And that's what we're talking about happening at Christmas. That's the meaning of Advent. It means that hope has dawned. Hope dawned 2,000 years ago and if you and I are a believer, hope has dawned in our hearts. Let's look at Luke. Uh, I, as, uh, as Justin was reading this this morning, I was just thinking like, th there's some things that kind of preach themselves and it's kind of superfluous for, for me or anybody else to kind of get up here and read this. And if we just read Luke 1 and Luke 2, like I think that preaches itself, but we're gonna look, we're gonna run through this section Look at this. So it's, the world is in darkness, God has not spoken. And then in Luke 1, 5, I don't have this on the screen. I don't know if we have anything. Well, we have that on the screen. This is, that's gonna come later. In the days of Herod, in the days of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah of the division of Abijah. And he had a wife from the daughters of Aaron and her name was Elizabeth. And they were both righteous before God, walking blamelessly in all the commandments and statutes of the Lord. 
but they had no child because Elizabeth was barren and both were advanced in years. Now, while he was serving as a priest before God, when his division was on duty, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And the whole multitude of the people were praying outside of the hour of incense. And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. Through the darkness, the world was waiting and longing and pining. And all of a sudden, light appeared. An angel appeared to Zechariah. A good man, but a pretty normal man, who happened to be super old. Like, and there wasn't like Viagra going on in the days, if you know what I'm saying. So it's not like he was kicking it. You know, it's not like, you know, not like he was... Are you tracking with what I'm saying? Like, this is what it's saying. He was old and advanced in years. There was no, like, Cialis and the two bathtubs sitting beside each other, like, you're going down by. Like, it's just, you're just old, buddy. You're shriveled up and old. And then it's got his wife, who is, it says she is shriveled up and barren. There is nothing going on. And there's nothing been going on for a while. She has had no children. And in this culture, for a, for a mother not to have children was a shame upon her. There would be people whispering all through the village and all through the family, like, I wonder what's wrong with her. I wonder why God hates her. I wonder what she has done in her past to cause God to judge her by not giving her children. And an angel appears and speaks to Zachariah and says, something crazy is going to happen. Your wife is going to get prego. She is going to be Full with child, and you're going to name him John. And he is going to be the one. Remember we read at the end of Malachi, he said that there's one who is coming, who's going to come in the spirit of Elijah, who's going to turn the hearts of the sons to the daughters and fathers to their sons and sons to their fathers. He says that is going to be your son. In fact, he says in verse 16, and he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the disobedient to the wisdom of the, of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And then Zechariah said, hey, how is this going to happen? Because you know, like, um, ain't no Cialis going on here, and my wife is old, and nothing has happened, even if everything was working great, if the plumbing was like all like working just like it's supposed to, nothing has happened this whole time. Like this, how is this gonna happen? The angel said, because you doubted me, boom, you're not gonna talk until the baby's born. This will show you, because it will happen. That's, that's Randy's version of what the angel said. And so all of a sudden, Zechariah comes out, and he's been, it got quiet in there, and everybody's nervous, because if you went into the, into the, the Holy of Holies, like, without uh, with sin going on, like, God would, boom, strike you dead right there. And they, they had a, they'd have a, a thing tied around your leg. They had to pull you out. And so that, it got quiet in there, so everybody's nervous, like, is Zechariah going to come out? Is he going to come out alive? And he comes out, and he's not talking. Something crazy is going on. And then his wife gets pregnant. After these days, verse 24, his wife Elizabeth conceived, and for five months she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach 
among people. So in the middle of darkness, the world has been pining. The world is hoping. His people have been saying, God, come and help us. God, come and save us. God, we're, we're trapped. We're hopeless. We're dark. Where have you gone? Are you going to help us? Are you real? What's going on here? And then in the middle of that darkness, in the middle of that pining, in the middle of that helplessness, to one little couple, something, light begins to dawn. The world around it doesn't know. There's no announcement in Rome. The mighty and the strong and the, and the period, they're not informed. But all of a sudden, light has begun, has begun to dawn. And not long after that, Mary, you guys know the story. She's sitting around. He just read the story. She's sitting around. She's a, she's a virgin. She's, she's engaged to be married. She's somewhere about maybe 13, maybe 15 years old. She's hanging out, and boom, an angel comes and appears to her and says, hey, you are going to become the mother of the one who's going to save his people. And you'll call his name Jesus. Light appeared. The dawn is starting to break. Nobody else sees it yet. This secretly happens to this young preteen or teenage girl. Light is coming. And then it says now, verse 57, now the time came for Elizabeth to give birth and she bore a son. And her neighbors and relatives heard that the Lord has shown great mercy to her and they rejoiced with her. And then the Randy version, so they, they, bring, they, they bring the baby to circumcise the baby and they say, what are you going to name him? Zechariah can't talk, remember? And also it, it, it seems to be that he also cannot hear because it says they have to give signs to him when they communicate with him. And Elizabeth, they say, what is, what's the baby going to be called? And Elizabeth says, he's going to be John. And they say, hey, that can't be because you don't have anybody in the family named John. Like, uh, anybody grew up in the country and, like, it has to be a family name? You know, anybody in here named Jimmy Dale or names like that? I'm, uh, I'm, I'm William. My name is William Randall Goff II. Um, just because that's what you do. You just carry the name on. You just, you, just, you just carry the name on. They say, there's no John in your family. Why are you calling him, you know, it's like naming your child. I'm going to name him Sunshine. Like, what? there's nobody, there's no Sunshine in your family. Why are you calling him Sunshine? I don't know. And then they go to Zechariah, and he writes down the tablet. He says, his name is John. And they all wondered in verse 64, and immediately his mouth was opened, and his tongue loose, and he spoke Blessing God and fear came on all their neighbors. And all these things were talked about through all the hill country of Judea. And all who heard them laid them up in their hearts saying, what then will this child be for the hand of the Lord was with them? And then, verse 67, and his father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and he prophesied, that means he preached, saying, so he preaches a sermon this, we're going to read the whole section. He preaches, he proclaims to them, his tongue is loose, and the first thing he says is, blessed be the Lord God of Israel, for he has visited and redeemed his people. That's the joy, that's the hope 
That's the thing that we celebrate at Advent and at Christmas is that God has come and he has visited his people. He didn't send help. He didn't send a messenger. He came himself and we were hopeless and we were helpless and we were stuck in our utter darkness. He came himself whenever you were stuck in darkness, when you were laid under sin, when you, were, you had no hope and you were helpless and there was, there was no path for you, he came himself and he visited you. And has raised up a horn of salvation for us. That means, that's the picture, like the, the strength of the animal that would be like the horn. It's like the way they pictured it. He raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant David. As he spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets of old, that we should be saved from our enemies. What enemies? Is he talking about the nation of Israel and the enemies that surrounded him from the hand of all who hate us? To show the mercy promised to our fathers and to remember his holy covenant the oath that he swore to our father Abraham to grant us that we being delivered from the hand of our enemies might serve him without fear and holiness and righteousness before him all our days. Now he speaks to his son John, and you child will be called the prophet of the most high for you will go before the Lord to prepare his ways, to give knowledge of salvation to his people and the forgiveness of their sins. That's the enemy that he's talking about that you and I were pressed down and hopeless and helpless in the darkness of our sins. The just deserves what was justly owed to you by your and my sin. And he has visited us to deliver us from that. Because of the tender mercy of our God. And this is my favorite part of the whole thing whereby the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. To give light, the the sunrise shall visit us from on high to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death. So how do you and I approach Christmas? What kind of expectations do we have? Are, are we dreading the holidays? Do you have expectations? Do you have a lot of stuff pent up? Like you hope, like, like you picture like cocoa and a fire and the family all like nice and happy and laughing, but it usually ends up like Uncle Bob is like a, speaking inappropriately to one of his younger cousins and uh, Uncle, Uncle Jack is over there and he's boozed up and so-and-so is arguing and we, we don't know what's going on with this person. Why are they not here? They left, they stormed out. What's going on? You know, my, my kids want, I, my, my kids aren't appreciative of what I'm getting them. Like, my, I don't know whether to spend holidays with this person or that person. Like, I'm single and so it's weird and I don't know what to do and I feel lonely at this time of year. Like, what, what kind of expectations or dreads do you have in holiday? Like, there's a lot of stuff that's packed into the Christmas season. What do, you, what do you do with it? What do we do with it as Christians? Like, a lot of that stuff is fun. There's nothing bad about it, but here's how you and I should approach it and how you and I will approach it. You will approach it with joy and appreciation you will celebrate it and appreciate it if you appreciate how hopeless you are apart from it. 
you've been through the night, the sunrise has a lot of meaning. If you're in the water and you are going down, and someone comes and saves you, that has a lot of meaning. But if you think you got it, even a little bit, it won't mean that much to you. The first message of Christmas of Advent is he came to darkness. As humans, we don't like to wait. In our instant society, and everything is instant, we've lost the skill of waiting. I've lost the skill of waiting. Anybody else in here? Like, like you should take time to do stuff, to find out information, to contact somebody, but now it all has to be instant or I'm going crazy. I have to wait. Like, like used to be like, if I wanted to buy something, even like just going to the store, but now I'm like, boom, bought it on my phone. I don't want to have to wait. It's going to take two days to get here? That's, that's insane. Like, I want it now. I was thinking about this the other day. Like, uh, my daughter will never know what it means to, like, maybe some of you guys are young enough that it wasn't a deal for you, but, like, I, like, if I heard a bit of music on the radio that I wanted to own, I had to go to the store and buy it or, or try to tape it on the radio so I would have it. Anybody else did that? You're, like, waiting. You always miss the beginning part, like, or, or, you, or you tape, like, a whole hour to get that one song you're trying to get. You remember that? Like, my, my daughter will never know that. Like, she, she thinks, like, just think, Music magically appears. Like she, she walks and says, hey, Dad, I would like to hear so-and-so song. And you type it in, boom, it's going. Even if you don't own it, there's Spotify. There's all kinds of things, the subscription services, you can hear it instant. You, there's a TV show you want to watch, boom, it's right there. You don't have to wait. You can pause, rewind TV. There's absolutely, you don't have to wait. Everything is instant. We've lost the skill. We don't, just because we're humans, we don't like to wait. But because of how instant technology is, we've lost the skill of waiting. But Advent is all about waiting. Advent is about us acknowledging that we are in darkness. It's all about acknowledging that we cannot help ourselves. It's about looking and longing and praying and hoping for someone to come and make things right. That light shone 2,000 years ago. The dawn broke, but still the light is, hasn't reached. It's, the sun is going to come and it's going to warm every dark, every dark corner. It's going to light every shadowy place. Because he came once, and sometimes it feels like, have we invested in the wrong thing? Like, I, we read the scripture, it says he's coming back soon, and he's coming again, and it doesn't feel like it. Like, have I invested in this wrong thing? If I, am I, am I, I'm embarrassed because I'm a Christian. I wonder, have, have, I, have, I, have I put my money in the wrong deal? Is this, has he overlooked this? Has he forgotten? But because he came once, we can have the confidence that he's coming again. No matter how dark it may feel, no matter how dark it may look now, the fact that the daybreak came means that the sun, the sun is going to shine in its full glory to every corner. He's coming again. So we remember at Christmas that we were in utter darkness, that light shone on us, 
and that because it's shown, it will shine in its full glory in the future. So we remember the miracle that happened 2,000 years ago. We remember the miracle that happened when light shone in our hearts, whenever it was for you. Maybe it was a couple months ago, maybe it was years ago, when light shone in your heart, and we anticipate the light that's coming at the end. Advent is, Christmas is, the celebration of and appreciation of the coming of light to darkness in the past, in the present, in the future. And that's how we approach it as believers. That gives great deep meaning and joy to the holiday season, no matter how crazy Uncle Jack is, no matter how inappropriate Uncle Bob is whenever he's had a couple, no matter how touchy-feely he is, no matter how bad the cooking is, no matter how lonely you may feel, we know that we let that darkness remind us that the light is coming. Dawn has broken, and the sun will shine in its full glory at the second advent when he comes again to make all things right. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Doxa Church. We are so glad that you took the time to join us today. At Doxa, we exist to make disciples who joyfully worship Jesus with their whole lives. We invite you to join us. Doxa Church meets at 10 a.m. every Sunday at River Oaks Elementary School. For more information about Doxa Church, please visit us online at www.doxachurch.org.